This is the Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share it with Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico, who you can find on Twitter. You can find Adam at really Adam B, and Marco can be found at scrimmageandstats.com, and of course, on his Twitter handle, The Hockey Expert. I'm Major Cordero. Let's get right into it. This episode is going to be covering the next part of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Montreal Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So far, 3 nothing up are the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we're recording this on Monday, July the 5th, 2021. So uh, it's about 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so we're just about three hours away from puck drop. It's been a rough series to watch as a Habs fan, um, definitely not as a Lightning fan, but in any case, let's analyze all of this and talk about it and give you what you need to know. So Marco, lead us off. What do people need to go into game four knowing what we've seen in games well, one, two, and three? I guess the best way I could describe it is it's going to be no mistake hockey. Basically, this is going to be, it's either going to be a complete and utter blowout, complete and utter blowout, or it's going to be a very tight checking game uh, that's probably going to result in maybe three goals. Um, it's just, at this point in time, I don't know that they can play that game with Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay's kind of figured out their game. Uh, and, you know, Montreal really hasn't adapted their style to any other team but the Toronto Maple Leafs. I feel like they've had the luxury of having teams have to adapt to them due to circumstance, due to playing style and efficiencies. Um, but right now, Tampa Bay plays pretty much the same type of game as the Montreal Canadiens. They just simply have more talented players to execute uh, that kind of strategy. And they're doing a phenomenal job. I think, um, you know, ultimately, I don't think this is Montreal's series. I really, really don't. I think it's pretty obvious to everybody. Um, I would like to see them not get swept, maybe put up a little bit of a fight, you know, go down swinging. But, uh, you know, it's going to depend on on what happens on defense. And then, as we know now, Montreal has made two changes on defense. On their, their They've basically replaced their entire third pairing. So John Merrill and Eric Gustafson are finally out of the lineup. And we now have uh, Brett Kulak and Alexander Romanov uh, two much faster guys that can handle the puck and execute quicker, um, you know, mind-boggling, uh, are taking that spot uh, tonight. Uh, with that other change in terms of speed of execution, we have Risperi Kakaniemi coming out for Jake Evans so that uh, Dominic Ducharme can reform that checking line that was Paul Byron, Jake Evans, uh, and uh, Arturi Lekkanen, which was so good and had really good chemistry towards the end of the season. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting. I still don't see it uh, personally, uh, unless everything goes right for Montreal and everything goes bad for Tampa Bay. Um, I think we're going to be looking at a sweep tonight. And it's it's unfortunate because we've been calling for for one of, if not two, of Romanov and, and Kulak for being like inserted into the lineup. And they're just now making it in a must-win must game pretty much. It's it's unfortunate because we haven't seen them before, but then again, we'll see what happens. And and look, I think so far the the series is so one sided just because not only does Tampa have more talent, but the Montreal hasn't had their carry price that they had all series long that saved them games. It's not bashing carry price by any means because he's the one that brought the team here. But when you don't have your best, uh, you your strongest weapon to help you win games, especially against a, a hockey machine like Tampa Bay, it's going to be hard to win games. So I think it's 
honestly, I think it's over tonight, even as a diehard Habs fans. But let's let's hope they can at least put put on a fight with the with the Sham uh, the changes the Sham has made to the lineup, and let's see what the if at least we can not see the Stanley Cup awarded on Montreal ice for the first time since '89, I believe, against Calgary. So let's see what happens, but it's pretty much no contest as of now. So one of the most interesting things that's come out uh, in this 3 nothing deficit has been the return to the days of the 2012 Halifax Mooseheads. And I can't think of anybody better to describe that team than Marco. But Marco, you saw that team go from 3 nothing down to winning the series. A lot of people have been drawing comparisons between the fact that obviously Ducharme is now coaching the Montreal Canadiens, but obviously this is just a fairy tale story that's not going to happen here. Uh, man, what a run. That team was insane. Um, Jonathan Drouin at the time, uh, Zachary Fucali looking elite. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, it, it's, it's pretty insane. Do I think they can come back? Um, no, unfortunately not. I think they've, they've dug their hole and maybe they win a game. Maybe they surprise and win two, but Ultimately, the way I see this is um, the Canadians gave everything they had versus Vegas. I feel like they completely drained the top four by basically overplaying them in the Winnipeg, the end of the Toronto, the totality of the Winnipeg and the entirety of the Vegas series. Uh, And I think that's coming back to bite them in the ass because right now, as we can see, you know, uh, Joel Edmondson, who has been steady the entire season, is having brain cramps. Jeff Petrie is having brain cramps. Uh, ben Sherratt, good lord, Ben Sherratt. Um, So no, I don't. Um, I don't think there's going to be a picture po- uh, picture perfect way uh, of coming back from this. What I will say is, I think they're going to fight it out to the very end, and ultimately, that's that's the style we want is to go down swinging. Um, I personally don't see any of that Halifax Moosehead's magic coming into this. I, I honestly, it's it's fun to to think about, but the only I you know it even lends more credibility to the comment I made the other day. You know, where would this team be if they could count on Jonathan Drouin? You know, it's it's unfortunate his situation, and I look forward to him being at a hundred percent and ready to play some hockey again, but. What a help Jonathan Drouin's speed and creativity would be in this series. And that's a key piece. Like, you're missing a key piece. You're missing speed well, on offense. The Canadians are depriving they're depriving themselves of two top six fours. One for Merritt in, in Thomas Tatar, who no-shows the playoffs. And the other one in uh, in uh, Jonathan Drouin, who, let's call a spade a spade. If you had a third line of Jonathan Drouin, Kakaniemi, Anderson... Versus Tampa Bay, maybe Kakaniemi would be playing game four instead of watching it. And like you mentioned, Tatar, honestly, at this point, he hasn't played like since what? Since game three of game Toronto? Three? Yeah, Caulfield, I think. No, I don't know. Lekkonen took his place. So like Tatar is out. Like, you can't you can't just insert him into the lineup after that that big of an absence. But especially that like, it was such a non-factor in, in those games. But a guy like Drouin, like, would have made su- would have had such an impact on on those like speedy games against Tampa Bay, and even I'm I'm even surprised to see Kotkaniemi being replaced by Evans. Like, like I'm about to say like maybe Anderson could have came out of the roster. Like yes, he's physical. He hits like a like a truck, but he 
He has two points. I would have taken out. I would have taken out Byron. Honest to God, I would have. I would have taken out Byron. Uh, I would have taken out Stall. There's a lot of players I would have taken out before Kakaniemi. Like even Anderson. Like we were all praising him at the beginning of the playoffs because was he was hitting. He was like scoring. He scored that big goal in Game One against Toronto to get the win. And then he's, he had a two-goal game, and that's it. Like, so he probably has three yeah, points. Yeah, no, he's been... He's clearly injured. Like, Anderson is clearly... There's something going on with him because he can't stick handle like he used to. He doesn't cut to the net like he used to. Um, so I think there's something wrong there. But at the same time, you know, when I'm looking at all this and I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it all from a Montreal Canadian standpoint, um, I think it's just they want to go with their veterans. Um, you know, they think that these younger players will live to fight another day and can worry about it then. Um, which is, I guess, fair from a perspective of being a club and wanting to attract veterans. But at the same time, without Cockney, I mean, without Caulfield, whom they sat the first three games of the playoffs, without Suzuki, there is no playoff run. Like, we talk about Carey Price, Carey Price, Carey Price, and rightfully so. But without those three kids whom you made the fan base suffer to acquire through a reset, there is no playoff run this year. And I just find it to be a little bit of a slap in the face to, in what is possibly the last game, uh, lose break faith uh, with a guy who turns 21. Honestly, the finals have felt like a dream. and uh, But at some point, we have to wake up. And I think that's kind of the moment that Montreal Canadiens fans are feeling at the moment. Nonetheless, I... I I still root for just one game win, just one to sort of rub it in the eyes of, of Tampa. I'm hoping that's the case of Magic tonight. I'm not sure it will be because, again, 3 nothing is quite the lead and it's quite stacked against us at this point. In any case, let's move on to other topics of discussion, which is our hockey news. Uh, let's talk off, start off with uh, André Tourigny, who is going to be set to coach the Arizona Coyotes. Adam, what's the key things that people need to know? We kind of alluded to it last episode. He's just going to be a great, I feel like a great players coach. He's coached Team Canada. He's coaching the juniors for, I don't know how many years, but he's been very successful. And it's, I think it's the, it's the starting point of a new culture in Arizona, maybe. Uh, we know what happened in, in recent memories with them losing their draft picks, uh, a bunch of, of, bad things happening to their franchise. Now I think it's maybe a good starting point to build on uh, for the future years. And André Tourigny, congrats to him. He he earned it and it's his first uh, NHL gig. I uh, Look, I've been following Tourigny for a while now. He was money at the World Juniors. Uh, he is, in my honest opinion, by far the best coach in all of Canadian Major Junior with the Ottawa 67s. Uh, two first-place finishes with two different cores. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. And I think that, you know, uh, uh, Armstrong, the GM, uh, not the one in, in St. Louis, his son, uh, in uh, Arizona, he's a guy that lives by prospect development and scouting. And if that's the way they're going to be moving forward... I know they don't have a first-round pick this year yet, although that might change uh, if Oliver ekman Larson or Connor Garland are traded. Um, he's going to want guys uh, around his club that are going to be able to properly insulate these young kids. And, of course, uh, Bear, as we like to call him, André Tourigny, 
definitely a great orator, a player's coach, uh, and I think that it's been long overdue uh, for him to get a chance. And this is probably the smartest move that's been made in the desert since making Shane Doan their captain, my honest opinion. And and you, you kind of alluded to it, trading Connor Garland and, and Ekman Larson. Like, who fetches at first? Like, Ekman Larson fetches one. Does Connor Garland also? For sure. Yeah. Garland does. 100%. I would, if they come calling Montreal and ask for a first-round pick plus for, for Connor Garland, I make that move tomorrow. Connor Garland is exactly what NHL clubs are looking for in a top six forward. And again, another player that was drafted and developed from the QMJHL. I mean, it's an easy sell for a team like Montreal, but he's exactly the type of winger they would need if they would need to replace a guy like Tatar in their top six. And I feel like, you know, teams are going to be looking at Connor Garland because he he has really developed into an offensive player, a very shifty player, but also a very combative player. And that could be very, very valuable in the playoffs. And he still hasn't signed like a big contract yet. So, may, like he had like two point five million for three years. He had a couple like smaller contracts. He took a discount actually on his last one. So, and he's a guy that put up thirty nine points a year ago and thirty nine points this year in forty nine games. So, I guess his next contract is going to be a huge bump, especially like look you're. 39 points in 49 games it's what you're a 60 point player oh yeah he's definitely gonna ask for the five to six million for sure and, and probably for term i mean is it a guy you want to give term to i think his progression curve has been excellent uh i don't know that i would give six million uh but definitely uh as a restricted free agent which he is this summer uh, I would definitely try to see if something can be worked out uh, middle term, something like a four or five year deal around six, you know, five, five point five million. I think that that would be fair for all terms and clubs. And really, I, I honestly feel like he's just improved so much so fast on an offensively inept team like the Arizona Coyotes that if he's put in an offensive club in a secondary role, he'll thrive just as much. We now have an unfortunately extremely sad story to share, and there's no easy way to start this, so we're just going to try and do the best that we can. But unfortunately, uh, this past weekend, uh, Matthias Kivlenix passed away. Uh, this was during the, a July 4th celebration. A, according to the coroner's report, it looks like a firework uh, malfunctioned, hit him in the stomach uh, where he was located in, the, in a hot tub. He got out of the hot tub and apparently hit his face onto the concrete. Anyway, unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 24. It, he was a, a prospect. He was a goalie, goalie with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's just exceptionally sad to see a life extinguished so quickly at the young age of 24. I mean, uh, two, two of us on this podcast are older than that age, and we kind of like, put things into context. In any case, let me throw it over to you guys. What are your thoughts at this moment? I mean, this is horrible. No one likes to see this. My thoughts and prayers go out to the family, of course, but... You know, it's there's not much more that can be said on this. It's it's a, an absolute horrible situation that you hate to see, and unfortunately, like I said, uh, you know, I think it's the you know the the family and the and the friends and the loved ones that are mourning him that you should have in your thoughts right now. And it's just very unfortunate to see such a talented guy, uh, you know, that was 
you know, about to break it in the NHL. Uh, unfortunately, not uh, able to complete that dream. So my thoughts go out to his family, his friends, and uh, yeah, just uh, stay safe, everybody. So let's switch gears from there. And now let's talk about some trades and signings. So there's a lot of action that's now going to be coming onto the scene because the Stanley Cup finals are pretty much drawing close to an end, which means we'll be heading right into the signings and trades of the summer. Uh, we'll start off with Victor Harvidsson to the Kings. Marco, what are your th- thoughts on this? I honestly, look, I understand people are going to are going to look at Harvidsson's recent numbers with Nashville and be like, well, is he really worth that? Co-? Yes, absolutely, positively, yes. And the reason why I say that is because Arvidsson is going to get to play a secondary scoring role on a resurgent Kings roster. He's going to get all the minutes in the world, the power play time. Don't worry about it. He's going to bring speed to that very heavy lineup. And I think that's going to bode very well for him. Also, this is a club that's probably going to have Quinton Byfield in their lineup next year. So you want a veteran on his line that's going to be able to bring him along uh, because... This wouldn't be the first young big center that Arvids had played with. He played with Johansson in Nashville. I think it's very smart. Yeah, former 30-goal scorer, even if he's a 20-goal scorer at this point, the guy is making $4 million for the next two years in a flat-cap era. The guy is going to give you good value on that contract, as he always had. I think Nashville is just, again, offensively inept at this point. All of their players are offensively on down season, so... Being able to pull him out of that system and bring him with the Kings, I think we see him bounce back, maybe get into the 25-goal range, um, maybe 50-point range. If he plays with who I think he's going to play and and in the situations he's going to play, I I don't think that, you know, the Kings would acquire a guy like him the way they did for as little as they did a second-round pick this year, which granted will be, I think, maybe 40, 39, 40, uh, and a third-round pick next draft. Um, That's a good... That's a good sacrifice to make if you're the Kings. The Kings prospect pool is already full, 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 full. And they have a top 10 pick this year. I, at this point, don't care. Uh, they And they, I believe they have more than one second round pick that they had prior to this trade. So uh, it works out well. And it's time for the Kings to start filling up that roster. And they have the cap space to do damage this year. And why not get a guy who I believe, even at his worst, is a bargain deal. So good for them. And what this singles to me from Nashville's perspective is they put off the rebuild when they traded uh, PK Subban to uh, to the uh, to uh, the New Jersey Devils. They put it off. I think now they're full on in it. And although they made the playoffs this year, despite themselves, despite that division, um, I think I think now we're going to start seeing the deconstruction of of that top team that we knew in the central division for so long and that's you said it you said it best like it's it's such a great addition to to younger kings lineup that's going to come in in the next year uh look also i from nashville's stand, standpoint i saw a bunch of fans on twitter being mad at the trade why didn't we get more for arvidson well at the same time they might be just dumping him out so they don't have to protect him in the expansion right because what do you prefer like getting two picks or just losing him in the expansion draft so at this point i think it's you have to see it from both sides but 
great addition for for LA and 4.5 I believe yeah 4.5 million a, for two years that's that's almost a no-brainer and it's it's an there's almost no risk associated to this uh, trade so great addition for LA I will say one thing though I will say one thing now that Arvidsson who is the clear guy to go in my opinion the clear first guy to be liquidated from this team assuming that Matthias Ekholm is going to be extended like everybody says or held on to until trade deadline next year so they can maximize his value. Who do you think Nashville trades next? Because I think there's going to be at least two trades here. Core piece trades. Who, when you look at that roster, do you think is going to go? I mean, there has to be like, maybe Johansson, could he? I I don't think no Johansson would move um, if... That's a that's a big that's a big risk for any team to take eight million considering the way he's produced lately. I think they're stuck with that for a while, unless of course they work out a deal with Seattle and they try to see if maybe in Seattle honestly, he becomes they, like, the number one center. As of now, they have to go eight skaters because they have so many defensemen they have to protect. Well, wouldn't that factor into who would be traded then? So is it Ellis? Is it Fabro? I think Ryan, Ryan Ellis, Ellis is, is the one that I think Ryan Ellis would be the one to move. I think it would be silly to to get rid of Dante Fabro. In fact, I believe that they would trade Ryan Ellis to retain Dante Fabro so they have someone on the back end to really solidify them moving forward. Um, so definitely for me, I would look to move Ryan Ellis. I know there's a lot of teams that would line up to have Ryan Ellis in the twilight of his career to really just push the right defense, which is a rare position, might might I add, uh, to the next level. So honestly, I would keep an eye out because I know the Philadelphia Flyers, if they miss out on Seth Jones, they're going to go for a guy like Ryan Ellis. Uh, teams that are looking to bolster that defense are going to be calling on Ryan Ellis. So I'd be very surprised if Ryan Ellis is still a Nashville Predator next year. And Ellis, like to, to add to... To what you just said, six point two million for six years. That's basically the end of his career. So like that's a that's a pretty good price for what he brings to a team, right? He can be a number two, number three on a good team. Like it's just unfortunately it's not working out where he's at. And he has no trade protection, might I add. And again, you talk about like the contract lasting six years. Yes. But at the same time, understand that there are no signing bonuses in his contract. So if there is a buyout that occurs, uh, the last two years of his contract, it's $5.5 million and $4.5 million. You buy that out, you're basically eating $2, $3 million in terms of uh, over two years, three years. So you, you get that money back regardless. It's a risk that a contending team is going to make, in my honest opinion. But then again, having both him and Yossi signed for six and seven years... I mean, it would be smart to just trade one of them to get to fetch a return, especially if you're going for a rebuild. Why and, not? And that's if, you know, if they turn around and re-sign Matthias Ekholm, who, I mean, granted, is 30. He's not, he's about the same age. It's just, if you re-sign Ekholm, you have no need for Ellis, in my honest opinion, right? Like, there are your two left guys, and you move up Dante Fabro to the first pairing, and then you plug in place based on free agency. Nashville's always been a free agency spot, even when they they weren't the best. So to me, it, it makes total sense. 
quantify and 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 qualify your assets and then go and get those young players because if you trade a guy like Ryan Ellis you're going to get you know a first round pick and a top prospect in my opinion i think that given what he does given his position given his experience i think he gets you that so if there's a club that desperately needs right defense and and there's a long list of them you know, Toronto uh Edmonton um Jesus, uh, Vancouver, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Like, I can go on. They're all going to be interested in this. If there's a money in, money out situation, like if if Nashville is willing to eat the money so that these teams can balance out their books and acquire a guy like Ryan Ellis, the price might actually even be higher. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. And I'm, I'm this is one of my favorite off-seasons because of the flat cap. Things are going to just be so wild. And the value of cap space is going to be interesting. I think that the one GM everybody's got to watch out for, though, Adam, and I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me on this, is Steve Eiserman. If you look at... If anybody listens to this, go look at the Red Wings cap-friendly page right now and look at how many players they have under contract for this year and then again for next year. They have like $40 million in cap space. They can do whatever they want. And... Last year, remember, they took on Mark Stahl's contract for a second-round pick. We're able to sign a bunch of good players on the market. They're going to be probably as aggressive as cap brokers. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, now that Seattle, for the first time, or any expansion team for the first time, is going to have competition in terms of taking contracts off teams' hands. Maybe they won't be as desperate uh, as they were with uh, a team like Vegas in 2017. The Red Wings have $48 million expected cap space and they have 12 picks in the next draft so that's that's pretty crazy like they're for sure going out and spending Iser that's Iserman's plan and I feel like he's in the like he has a bank of prospects he has cap space and he's just from here on out he's just gonna work his magic and and we'll see what happens there but watch out for Detroit for sure well I mean look they they obviously have guys to resign like uh Rasmussen uh Varana, Ernie, uh, even Chalowski and Hronik, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi as well. Um, so, you know, all this is, is kind of, they won't have 48 or sorry, 33 million by the time it's done, but they'll definitely have 15, you know? So like they'll be able to take on one, two, three bad contracts and they have five picks. I repeat five picks, ladies and gentlemen, uh in good lord the top 50 like it's 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 ridiculous at this point or sorry top 52 they have five picks they have a pick almost every 10 spots uh two first round picks three second round picks um so steve eiserman is basically doing what he did in tampa bay in detroit and it's a hard rebuild it's going to be a hard sell for the fan base that is used to playoffs year in year out but by god by the time they get, you know, Marit Sider, by the time they get uh, Lucas Raymond, uh, you know, and, and the plethora of other prospects like Jonathan Berggren, uh, Joey Valeno, uh, Vero Emil into the lineup, man, they're going to be stacked. So patience, but uh, definitely Stevie Y knows what he's doing. And just to, just to finish off with the whole Ryan Ellis being on the trade block type of thing, like just thinking about the offseason, you have... Seth Jones, who's the number one like bait, and then you have Dougie Hamilton, who's been 
he's going to be like a UFA, if I'm not mistaken, and he's been talking to teams. And then you have Ryan Ellis. Like, you have the potential to be number three on that. So teams that miss out on that, on those top two guys are going to just throw picks and money at Ellis, right? The, or at Nashville in that case. So we'll see what happens, but definitely it's going to be an interesting offseason. Speaking of other interesting offseason action, the Minnesota Wild style Joel Erickson Eck to an eight-year, $42 million contract on Friday, I think it was last week, which carries an annual salary cap hit of $5.25 million AAV. Marco, I mean, he had a career high of 30 points uh, last season, only 56 games. This this is a 24-year-old who has still things to prove, right? Yeah. Would you have signed him to this contract last year? Hell no. I think that he really took a step up uh, this year with Minnesota. Um, I think he was one. Minnesota was looking for a top-line center and went out and got Bonino and got Bukestad and got Johansson. And yet, ironically, he was on. he was already on the team being wasted on the third line, fourth line, um, behind guys like Charlie Coyle and, and so on and so forth. And here we are today and eight year, $5.25 million. Do I think he's going to live up to that contract? No, I, I would hope he does, but I just don't see it. I think you're paying what is probably going to be one of the best two way players in the game. $5.25 $5.25 million. He's going to put up, you know, 15, 20, 25 goals in his best season, 35 to 50 points at most in his prime. That's good value long-term. Um, so I hope to be wrong. I hope the projections are wrong. I hope that that, that the advanced stats continue to prove him right. Um, ultimately, for me, it's the length of the contract. A lot can go wrong. And you're giving a lot for one year of incredible upward swing. I think that Joel Eriksson uh is about a five to six million dollar player, maybe on a you know a four to five year deal. But on an eight year deal, I understand you're getting UFA years out of this. You're getting, I believe, four five UFA years out of this. Or wait, he's twenty four. Uh, you're getting yeah four UFA UFA years out of this. N- unsure unsure that he's going to be able to maintain pace. However, if he does play with Kirill Kaprizov uh, for the entirety of that time, he's bound to get points. So it may work out, but, but I will state this a two way number two center of his ilk at $5.25 million. Should he continue to improve the way he has is a steal. And this is why I agree with the risk that Bill Guerin took because the value is there. The only hesitation you could possibly have is if he regresses next year. So basically, all eyes on Joel Eriksson as of the beginning of next season. And if he's able to continue on the way that he was this season, that's a steal of a contract. And just the way he played this year, I think I don't necessarily agree with the risk. It's not, I think he he deserved that contract and in the long run he's gonna just be an amazing player for minnesota him and greenway just had it like 30 points each this season in 56 games i mean and as we said in the worst case he's gonna be a two-way a great two-way for uh two-way forward two-way center he's gonna play on the second line and just shut down other players so i think it's a great contract for minnesota and maybe he got a bit more but he got term so great i feel like it's a great value for minnesota 
jumping now to Chicago, where there are rumblings that Chicago might be looking to deal Duncan Keith to either a Pacific Northwest or a Western Canada-based team. Uh, word is in around the water cooler, potentially Edmonton-bound. This is quite the news for a 37-year-old who has a no-move clause and basically controls his destiny, but... I guess now the big question here, Marco, is uh, long story short, Duncan Keith, Edmonton bound? I wouldn't see, I wouldn't think that he would be going to Edmonton. In fact, if he were ever to be traded somewhere west, I think it's going to be Seattle or I think it's going to be Vancouver. I think it's going to be a Pacific team uh, that's going to wind up with him. And if not, in the wildest of, of swings, I think he might actually wind up with LA. All teams that require a good veteran uh, to, to bring it in. I don't. I can see why he would go to, uh, to, 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 to Edmonton because it's the former Hockey Canada crew that's there. Um, I just don't know that it would be, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know that it would be ideal long-term for, uh, and by long-term, I mean till the end of his contract, for a guy like Duncan Keith, obviously it may revive his his career, but I feel like they need to improve the right side of their defense, not the left side of their defense. Uh, and it really all depends on the price. If the price is simply a cap dump from Chicago's perspective for absolutely nothing, then why not? But if there is value to that trade, I honestly think that Duncan Keith is a guy that you would want on a team like Seattle uh, as they start the season, or a guy that you would want backing up Quinn Hughes in Vancouver should, you know, Alex Adler decide, I want out. Man, I don't think Vancouver has the cap space for that, though. That's like, that's the issue. Oh, they they, they, they might, by the end of the, by the end of everything, they, they might. I, I Honestly, Adam, I wouldn't even be surprised that they give up significant draft capital or buy out straight up, bite the bullet and buy out uh, Ericsson. They're going to try and make cap space this year. Man, Vancouver has so many bad contracts, but yeah, Ericsson being bought out could... I mean, just going back to Keith, I don't think he's going anywhere, as you said, without Chicago eating part of that $5.5 million, right? Like, they're going to have to eat some of that contract for him to, to get moved type of thing, and especially that he has a new, no-movement clause, right? So oh, like, he, decides. he decides where he it's goes and him. the other team basically has to say like, okay, we're going to take X percentage of his contract. So it's going to be interesting to see, but man, this is, this is the end of an era for Chicago, right? They're just at the end of an era coming for, for a bunch of us that started in like watching hockey in, in early 2000s, right? Man, like five years ago, he had 69 points. That's crazy. Yeah, for five years ago, Patrick Kane was also on fire and he was the top guy on the power play and all these things. It's just, unfortunately, this is a game of performance. and That's the end of the Chicago dynasty or we're getting there. Like, it's the start of the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it is the end. It's, it's been over for a while, my friend. It But is... you're seeing those players, like those key players leaving now, or like they're on the verge of leaving. Well, they haven't, they, they've had no choice, right? Keith uh, is one. Seabrook announcing his retirement is another. Uh, I don't know how long Jonathan Taze has left after what happened this year. Basically, 
the smallest, most diminutive player on that roster is the one that seems to be lasting the longest, which is friggin' ironic, in my opinion, uh, in Patrick Kane, because everybody was worried about, oh, he's too small, uh, he's going to get destroyed. And yet, he's the one that's been the healthiest and the one that's lasted the longest. Um, so it's going to be pretty It's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens. What I would like, honestly, and, and, and to, the, to the truest of points, I would just like for them to do this in a classy way. I don't want this to get ugly. I don't, you know, he wants out. He wants to finish his career in, in a way where he could still remain competitive and, and play with a team that has playoff, at least playoff aspirations. Whilst, uh, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks kind of go their own way and, and, and rebuild. I want this to be done in a classy way. That's all I'm asking. And uh, yeah, Chicago's going to have their own problems this summer anyway. So let's let's just hope they get this handled properly if you want further details please check out our previous episode which we elucidate all those case details in any case that's it for this episode of the hockey flow i'm pleased again to have shared all the wonderful hockey world's news with you and everyone on the show but of course you can continue the conversation on twitter start off at the hockey flow that's d-a-h-o-c-k-e-y-f-l-o-w on twitter you can also message marco at the hockey expert you can also message adam at really adam b you can't message me but that's okay i'll be grieving the habs in any case we'll catch you all next week cheers Cheers. Go, Habs, go.